Welcome to Tea Break with Vivian Cosimir. Vivian and her guests are here to help you empower yourself and open your mind to higher realizations. Now, here is Vivian. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this June podcast on facing today's new paradigm. My slogan, if coffee wakes you up, tea awakens you. I am Vivian Casimir, and I have the pleasure to be here with Katy Park and Sapna Dutt, who are sharing with us their thoughts and insights on how to face the new reality of chaos or transition we are in. We all know by now that we are entering a new phase where awakening is essential if we want to move humanity towards in, uh, to forwards in a conscious way. That's the next phase of human evolution, as many people say. It may be obvious to some of us, but less obvious to others. Zen and yoga practices, the subject of today, are not new. They have been around for eons of time. However, with our dualistic minds in the modern era, we have lost touch, at least in the West, with their essence and powerful teaching. We have reduced them to a simple mind-body practice. Now is the time to revisit them and remind ourselves that they offer all we need to become conscious beings of the 21st century. So let's start with Cathy and her introductory quote that I love. Where is the refuge we can anchor ourselves in at this time of great transformation? So, welcome to the podcast, Cathy, and thank you for joining us for a cup of tea. You are in Korea and have moved around the world quite a lot. You lived and trained in both residential Zen communities and monastic temples in the US, Europe, and Asia. You received Inca, which is permission to teach, in 2016 in the Kwanom tradition, and now you teach in South Korea and for the online community of the Quantum School of Zen. And this is how we met, actually. <laughs> what I like about Zen, I have to say that to the listeners, it's, uh, it's powerful simplicity. But it is so simple that most people find it complicated. Isn't it funny? So, Cathy, I always ask the same question, the intro question to my guests, because it is nice to see how they chose their path or career. So what's your story, Cathy? Hi, Vivian. Thank you. <laughs> I blah, blah, blah so much. I didn't give you a chance. <laughs> it's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Um, yeah, that's a very good question. What's my story? <laughs> Everybody has a story. Uh, suffering is my story. <laughs> um, I think when I look back, I had a really great job. Um, I was designing clothes, housewares, you know, traveling for work to Europe, to Asia, you know, um, uh, so on the outside, everything looked sort of ideal and beautiful. Um, but what I learned over time was that um, the idea of suffering is, you know, there are many kinds of suffering. There's the suffering if you get into a car accident and your body's hurt um, or the trauma or the shock. But there's also what 
the Buddha called suffering, which in Sanskrit is called dukkha, which means dissatisfaction. Mm -hmm. So in one's life, um, we can have a lot of different experiences that feed our senses or our desires, so to speak, or emotions. But somewhere underneath, I think, uh, I know you do too, but I definitely had sort of an existential question, like, mm. what am I? What is my life for? Like, why am I here? So so you str- I, I was striving for this amazing job, amazing work, amazing life experiences. And yet underneath it, there was this nagging kind of dissatisfaction mm. and, you know, question, like, yeah. but what is the, the meaning of all of this? And so I guess that's what really was the heart of it, but it didn't really become obvious until I suffered enough in life <laughs> with bad relationships and, you know, difficult situations um, that one day I just was burned out and I had to take a year off and oh. I came back to Korea and just pretty much just traveled around to temples because what's in Korea here is mostly 70% mountains. And in those mountains, they're mostly ancient Buddhist temples. Okay. So I just traveled and visited some of them. And one day I was in one temple called Songgwangsa, uh, which is a, a Zen monastic training temple. And there we had to wake up at 3 a.m., <laughs> go to the Buddha hall, you know, mm. bow, chant, and, and then you have breakfast at six and things like that. It was this whole monastic traditional like schedule you were experiencing. But in the middle of the night, one thing that I had was this huge fear of going to the bathroom because their toilets were outhouses and they were way across the courtyard on the other side of the compound. And I had this innate fear, which is being in the dark in a place I don't know, you know, and going out in the middle of the night at 1 a.m. having to go to the bathroom. So when, when I was falling asleep, I was like, please, I don't have, I don't want to wake up to go to the bathroom. And of course, 1 a.m. I wake up because I have to go to the bathroom to pee. So I said, oh God, I can't pee right out here because what if some monk appears and they see me, right? So, so I took the courage and I said, okay, I'm just going to walk across the courtyard because- mm-hmm. I'm in a temple, so it must be safe one way or the other. (laughs) And I walked across this beautiful courtyard in front of various buildings. Um, And this was deep in the mountains in Korea. Uh, It was a mid-July, like beautiful summer night. I walked halfway. And when I stood in front of the main Buddha hall, the traditional roof has this beautiful curve. Um, And I looked up at the sky, and in the sky, it was dark, dark, inky, you know, blue, black. mm. And in that sky, there were thousands of stars and um, the Big Dipper. You know, Uh, I could see very clearly the stars there. And, And suddenly in that moment, I knew that I was safe. Because I am the universe, the universe is me. And I felt connected and I felt protected by the stars, 
protected by the curve of the roof, protected by the quiet, you know, 1 a.m. soundless, you know, Mm. night Mm -hmm. deep in the mountains with a slight breeze. And then I went to that outhouse, (laughs) peed, and walked back feeling full of immense joy. Wow. And it lasted like four or five days, this sensation of incredible joy in my heart Mm -hmm. and freedom. And so that was the beginning of my journey of what am I? What is my life? So this existing, I would say, existential nagging or question, Mm -hmm. I think all of us have innately. Exactly. Um, Even children, you know, they have this question. It's a beautiful, beautiful question. And it's what makes us human. And Zen um, is a practice that I realized is to attain this question. So that was the beginning of my journey of Zen meditation and um, realizing uh, this is something that is so precious and that no matter what, we have to share it with the world. (laughs) Wonderful. So here I am. Yeah, I know, wonderful. And this is interesting because, as you said, yes, many people, we all at some point in life have uh, this question. Some follow it to find an answer, and others prefer to ignore it. Yeah. It's okay, we all have our path. But um, yeah. yeah, I can relate to that. I had also my my own question there, absolutely. So thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, let's go back to your uh, statement. I really like it. I understand the concept refuge, but uh, for the listeners, can you elaborate a bit more? What is refuge? Let me yeah. read it again. Can, mm-hmm. can you? Uh, yeah, I'm going to read it again. Where is a refuge we can anchor ourselves in at this time of great transformation? Yeah, the word refuge is really such an inspiration for me because. Um, just like the experience I just shared with you about the stars, uh, I believe true refuge comes from when we can let go of I, the identity that I exist or that I have a self. And it usually happens when we're in some action in the moment without a lot of thinking and discrimination, like opposites thinking, we call it, right? Mm-hmm. Good or bad like or dislike, opinions, you know. Um, and it's not it's not a refuge as in a physical place, although sometimes like a beautiful temple like that can be a refuge. Maybe your Zen center or mm-hmm. the tree that you always go to when you go for a walk and it gives you this beautiful shade and you can sit under it and you feel part of the world, right? So a refuge is a place where... Uh, I believe we can be in touch with our true nature, with our true selves. So, but at times, you know, a refuge is also something we need uh, because we have to depend on something outside of ourselves, right? So sometimes it is, yeah, like a temple or a doctor or your parents or, you know, Mm -hmm. where we look to the outside for that safety of existing in the moment. And I think nowadays we're so into 
the things we're attached to hmm. in name and form, you know, the material world, the technology, concepts, hmm. ideas, and the idea that somehow I have to go after things. Exactly. Um, that yeah. social media really, um, you know, tries to make us uh, get attached to as a business, right? So exactly. we get attached to concepts and ideas which do not exist and and they're empty. They are not a refuge for us. They, <laughs> When you get there or you get it, the rug is pulled out from under you. So the true refuge is understanding, yeah, who are you? What What are you in this moment? And can you find that, that clarity inside? Can we be truly honest? That's where I think the refuge really comes from. And it's a, it's not an easy thing to do. Mm -hmm. Is to, to find it ourselves. It's part Mm -hmm. of the journey. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Wow. Exact. Uh, I'm going to jump uh, to another question that I think is centered you know, very central in our discussion is uh, we all witness the big changes. We, you know, everywhere we talk about that now, nobody can escape that. We we all witness the big changes we are faced with on the planet. Some call it chaos, transition, transformation, blah, blah, whatever. What is it from your perspective? How can you explain that from a Zen perspective? Well, uh, we say there are so many beings living on this planet, right? So it's not just human beings that live here. Mm. Uh, sometimes we use the word sentient beings. So while as human beings, we have, you know, I'm five foot four and, <laughs> and living in Korea, but all around me, you know, there's insects, plants, germs, amoebas, you know, bacteria. There's um, myriad, trillions and trillions of beings Mm -hmm. existing. And I think maybe the most difficult thing right now as human beings is to acknowledge and relate that to the fact that there are life forms surrounding us that get affected by our own thinking, decisions, speech and actions. Mm-hmm. And so the climate is an example of, you know, how as human beings, we are responsible for our actions and what we do in terms of our relationship with the environment. And that's at the heart of Buddhist teaching because um, we talk about cause and effect. Uh, there's always a cause for something to start with as a seed right? Like our own actions. Like if I go to Starbucks and get (laughs) a a plastic ice Americano cup and I throw it away and I do that every day, every day, um, I accumulate, you know, some kind of deficit of creating uh, consumerist, you know, habits, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a simple thing, but then that's, it's that one example is in millions and millions of people's lives, right? So the accumulation of our so-called habitual tendency as human beings is um, beginning to become obvious in terms of its impact in the environment around us. And so transformation of what's happening is the world is just the nature, natural world, 
the universe around us is only responding in cause and effect. Mm. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's no mm-hmm. opinion in it. It's basically what causes from a seed, some action or a function happens and a result appears. That's all. That's the truth of the universe. That's the truth of all phenomena. The right? law, the rule, yeah. the law of the yeah. universe. Yeah. And okay. because as human beings, we don't see that, we keep insisting on um, ideas that are contrary to what's really happening in reality. That's mm. where the real rubber, rub, rubber meets the road situation, uh, right? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it's not chaos on the one hand, because it's a natural process. But if human beings don't find our purpose in it, mm. which means to wake up, Exactly. And see ourselves, our own actions, and what can we do? How can we transform? How can we help each other and all other beings? If we don't wake up to this, definitely, we're just going to meet the results that, you know, cause and effect mm-hmm. brings us. I see. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. You're, uh, and actually, this is what uh, many scientists call uh the the possible six mass extinction if we don't really wake up hey, exactly mm. no, exactly you you mentioned last time also something uh, parallel to um, AI artificial intelligence yeah the, the danger I mean I say danger but you know this comparison with uh, we are so much into our ego illusionary reality so sure uh, technology becomes uh, our new way of life and that's the danger of it well i think a lot of people are talking about that and i'm certainly not an expert but um Mm -hmm. i can tell from my own experience that technology demands us to learn new things which is really what's great about technology um i think what is a problem is when we get really attached to a certain habit in the way we use technology. Um, so it means there's nothing wrong with the actual iPhone or the computer or in AI's case, I'm not sure. I think AI has a life of its own. <laughs> uh, but as human beings, we encounter different things in life and we project our own likes or dislikes or our habitual tendencies to it. So if we're spending a lot of our time using the iPhone to try to um, improve our self-image, you know, it's an attached view that we are creating. And I think a lot of the danger is coming from the fact that this kind of activity is very addictive. So uh, we're not so much able to think for ourselves and our mind is mostly inside a device, Uh, right? So the device has its own, AI has its own life of uh, directing our thoughts one way or another, back and forth or forward, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. you can scroll or search for new things all the time. So your, your brain activity is actually following what we call dopamine production. So you, you know, Mm -hmm. search, get it, search, get it, you know, so dopamine production in our brain is designed to search for food traditionally, (laughs) historically, 
you know, go look at a berry shrub and pick raspberries in the forest, you know, <laughs> uh, things like that, right? But now what we do is we use that function to search for information, which is logic-based. And we lose the ability by only doing that. uh, We lose the ability to really intuit our deep wisdom, which doesn't require an outside device. It doesn't require equipment. It doesn't require anything external. Uh, It's self-made, ready-made, pure and clear full of great love, great compassion and wisdom and can do anything, right? It's what we call our true nature. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and so um, the attachment to devices or when we don't have a clear direction of how to use technology, um, technology controls us. That's where the real issues are coming from right now. And it's affecting mental health and physical health of human beings. So Mm. it's really important to ask why, why do you do that? Why do you use social media? Why do we use technology? And are you the boss of it? Are you the host or the guest? (laughs) That's the real (laughs) question. And it's like asking, do you know what the difference between you and the machine, even the very sophisticated Android or AI? Yeah. It's your consciousness. You know, yeah. let's not forget yeah. that. Yeah. In the end, you know, it's it's still a machine. Now people say that the machine can start to have feelings. Well, let's see. Let's see how all of this unfolds. But um, it in the end, of course, if we're still human beings using the machines, then we've got to understand our relationship to it. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So that goes comes back to the question of... Uh, Awakening, we have to reconnect and be in a relationship with things around us in a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's go to uh, the another essential part, which is taking refuge. What would you say to those who are curious about spiritual path or who want a way out of suffering in a Buddhist sense and those who are already on the path? but may face some difficulties at time, like stopping, you know, the practice because they are tired or they are distracted and, you know. So um, what, would, what would you say uh, about that? I think initially uh, for people who are seeking a spiritual path or a meditation technique or a tradition, um, it's important to understand why you want to do it, right? Um, be a little more clear about what you want. That will help you make the choice. Also find the right method and possibly a good instructor. Um, Also, nowadays, people's minds are what we would call shattered more. So a long time ago, um, Zen meditation was done mostly by monks who were sitting in mountain temples, you know, deep in the forest, pristine <laughs> <Yes>. air, pristine <laughs> environment, simple life, no internet, no distractions. Exactly. Maybe they just gardened and cleaned the temple floor grounds, you know, every now and then, and, you know, had ritual practices. 
Um, and they just sat and meditated and looked inside, what am I, right? So, but we don't have that kind of simple life right now. Mm-hmm. You and I, we have many devices. We, we have a busy lifestyle. We have, we're bombarded with information. Yeah. We um, have a lot of stress coming from interaction and work, family life, et cetera, relationships and community. So the challenge, and it's even challenging, I think, for monastics too, in our day and age, right? To deal mm-hmm. with the onslaught of these transformations in society and how religion itself can actually answer to some of these questions. Um, and, and when I say shattered, it means our mind is constantly like sort of in 10 directions. So you multitask, you have work, family, all these things happening. And then and our job is that we have to constantly regroup our mind to mm-hmm. pay attention, to mm-hmm. concentrate, to come back. So the question is, how shattered is your life? How, how is your mind just now? Are you sleeping well? Are you eating well? Do you feel exhausted when you come home and you want to just binge on Netflix? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do we feel depressed? Uh, how much of the emotions that we carry uh, govern our life versus, uh, you know, feeling centered, grounded, and clear? So I think we have to look very clearly at our own lifestyle first, and then really take a good look at what do I really want and what do I want to change. And finding that direction, I think, will be really helpful to find the right kind of meditative practice or spiritual practice that can really benefit uh, you. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you, uh, you mentioned last time, uh, more people sign up for meditation, like for example, in our school, quantum Zen school. And, uh, but the other aspect is not many people are ready to take the extra step to really invest and make an mm. effort to go deeper. Yeah. So that's uh, also, which is in a way normal, but this extra step is necessary to really reconnect and not just to find peacefulness because your day was was too stressful and you just want to be, you know, peaceful. Of course, it's good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But the true practice of meditation is to really attain, you know, that don't know mind that I would like you to talk about. But before mm-hmm. before we go to the don't know mind, um, there's an explanation of the three jewels. I really would like you to do that because it's about refuge again, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The three jewels, you had three ways, two, three levels of explaining it. Yes. So the three jewels in Buddhism are called the Buddha, Dharma, and the Sangha. Um, and so the Buddha is, uh, so these three jewels are um, expressed also in three different ways. Mm-hmm. The first is historical three jewels, <coughs> excuse me, uh, Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, which means Shakyamuni Buddha, who lived like 2,500 years ago in reality, was the original teacher of Buddhism. The Sangha, uh, sorry, the Dharma, which is the teaching he gave for over 40 years when he was alive and hence recorded and become what we call sutras, Mm -hmm. books. And the Sangha 
is the community of practitioners uh, that were his disciples at the time of the Buddha. Exactly. The mm-hmm. second three jewels is form three jewels. So Buddha means the Buddha statue, a temple, a Zen center, a monk, a nun, a teacher. So what symbolizes the true Buddha nature as a teaching? The Dharma is all the Dharma teachings that have been handed down since Buddha's time. So over thousands of years, there's many generations of um, great masters and teachers uh, and practitioners who've shared their teaching, and we can hear or read about them now and learn from them. Mm -hmm. The Sangha is the large worldwide community of practitioners like you and myself, not just monks or nuns or historical teachers, but all of us who are on the path to awaken, to wake up to our true nature. And the final three jewels is Buddha is our true nature, our original mind that is pure and clear, full of wisdom and great love and compassion. Okay. So, That's our true nature, which we must wake up to. When we wake up, then you attain the true dharma, which is our mind light. That's innate wisdom just shining from this awakened view of the world. Okay, That means the truth. And sangha is our hindrance-free actions moment to moment that comes with the clear direction of helping all beings. So... We use the term three jewels uh, as, a, as a way of finding our own refuge through practice, which mm-hmm. is to attain these final three jewels. And all of the other three jewels are there to support us and help us uh, skillfully find that way to do it together. Yeah, I see. Yeah. Uh, that uh, may be intellectually Uh, uh, fascinating for people but to experience it that's what the journey is is really about so that's another thing so I would invite the listeners to really um, give uh, give a try to to meditation on on that level uh, as a journey to reconnect with our true nature this is actually to go back to the beginning, an essential step in uh, hum- in the evolution of humanity. We need to wake up to make things go in a conscious way on the planet. So uh, just to end, uh, because we are kind of out of time, but uh, if there's any uh, concept or things you would like to mention to the listeners, I have one thing, I don't know if you have, but I have one thing, is about the don't know mind. This is actually the signature, I would say, of the <laughs> school of Zen. Okay. So, yeah. uh, don't know mind. Can you make it like short, but clear enough for people to understand? Yeah. So, Vivian, what are you? <laughs> <laughs> don't know. okay well that's a start but don't know is two words in english right yeah so it means before thinking before we have any kind of idea it's to experience this moment before thinking that's all yeah we do it all the time when you go for a walk and you smell the fresh air 
and you see the blue sky, you're already one with the sky and the situation. That's already don't know. Okay. Uh, so it's not something special, but most of the time we're wrapped up in our thinking. So we miss it. Okay. We are fleetingly missing the true moment because we're only in our thinking. So that's what we have to wake up to. Waking up means waking up to our habitual tendencies and seeing things just as they are, experiencing the moment just as it is. Then there's great power in that. When you experience it, you will know it for sure. Don't know knows. <laughs> okay. I, like, I like that, yeah. But in a way, you're right. We all have experienced a moment and... Uh, But we take it as, oh, it's all, oh, you know, a beautiful situation or a landscape. Right. Or something. We make it special. But, uh, right. but, but thinking also uh, means uh, thinking with our dualistic uh, mind. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah the, exactly. The moment we don't, we go. There's a quote in the, in the Zen school, uh, which is, um, uh, I think, therefore I am. This is the beginning of... Um, Philosophy. This is from Descartes. Yes, yeah, Descartes. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think, therefore, I am. This is the beginning of philosophy. But yeah. if I don't think, then what? And this is Correct. the beginning of Zen. Of Zen. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So I just want listeners to to understand that uh, thinking means that means that we start having some process of judging, rationalizing, interpreting. Mm -hmm. All of exactly. that is a thinking. But when you just connect with that thing that is right there in the moment, we call it before thinking in that sense. So we are not trying to look for a middle way between black and white. It's not gray. It is even before the moment. That's right. That's right. You got it right. In that sense. Good. Uh, I would like to end with a quote because I think it goes very well with uh, the, the, the subject. It goes like that. In Zen, we say there are two kinds of suffering. One leads to just more suffering. This is the round and around variety. The other kind of suffering leads to an end to suffering. This is the suffering we experience when practicing strongly. So the question arises, which kind do you like? And that's from Zen master De Quang. Any comment, Cathy, <laughs> before we close? <laughs> so uh, the garden variety suffering means we're attached to something. Yeah, that's why they're suffering. Mm -hmm. uh, the suffering that comes from strong practice means uh, the point in the moment when we're taking the courage to become vulnerable, uh. to be honest with ourselves, to see what's really happening and to have courage and to see that we might have shame, but we're going to go through that shame and difficulty of our emotions. So the willingness to go through that is quoted here as suffering, but actually it's the healing. Exactly. It's the freedom. That, yeah. yeah. So exactly. if we can see that as the practice, then uh, you will be free of the garden variety of suffering every moment. Exactly. And Zen offers a, a method uh, through which that's possible. But it's not 
for everybody. It's not a garden variety <laughs> practice. <laughs> uh, but if we have the courage to try it, then I think a whole new experience of living in this world will open up. No, exactly. And uh, just to remind listeners that uh, going deeper inside of us, we call it the inner journey. It's a journey, basically. You know, yeah. you, you realize things that's happening. It's part of the transformation. You, you experience it. You cannot explain it with words and concept and intellectualizing things. You experience it. And my experience as a Zen student, I must say it has been wonderful. Wonderful in that sense. Fantastic, yeah. yeah exactly. So actually, you know, a lot of people come with um, expectations when they want to mm -hmm. meditate. But um, in reality, you reach way beyond your expectations. Exactly. That's the true beauty of it. And um, so never give up. Try it. Oh, and then that's one good. day uh, you will exceed your expectations about what you thought might have been enlightenment or waking up or becoming Buddha or being free of suffering. I guarantee it. <laughs> no, thank you. Oh, no, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm so sorry, we have to uh, close now. So um, thank you very much, Cathy, for your time with us and sharing your wisdom and Zen inspiring approach to awakening. <laughs> My pleasure. So Great to be here. Thank you. So uh, to the listeners, stay with us. The journey to awakening continues after the break with Sapna, who is going to shed light on the spiritual essence of yoga and how, like Zen, it offers a practice to help you reconnect with your true nature. So stay tuned. Set your goals higher and aim for a true transformation in your life. Do not settle for well-being. Be grounded, centered, and raise your consciousness for self-realization. Mayoku Techniques help you start your journey or deepen your practice on a one-to-one -one training. Check the website www.myokucenter.com and together let's make a difference now in your life. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Welcome back to Tea Break with Vivian Cosimir. We hope today's episode is making you feel empowered in many ways. Now back to the show with Vivian. Welcome back to our discussion on facing today's new paradigm. And welcome, Sapna. It's a real pleasure to have you with us. Thank you so much. Lovely to be here. <laughs> Sapna, you are a yoga master teacher in India, where you have your own studio and your work is also international. We can find your great videos on your YouTube channel, and we can also read your numerous blogs on your website, listed in your bio of this episode. So, if you allow me, I would like to start with a statement I took from your website. It says, my aim is to be practicing and teaching yoga till the end of my life. 
Ay, ay, ay. Beautiful statement. Okay. So I love it. Yeah. <laughs> it shows your commitment, your passion, devotion, your joy, and your love for teaching yoga. So thank you for contributing to the awakening on the planet. The, oh, other, <laughs> the other aspect of your statement refers to yoga as a lifestyle. And that I want to emphasize. It's a mind-body practice and not simply a physical exercise for flexibility and fluidity. Why I'm saying that is because in the West, most of the time, we are impressed with the postures, the stances, very sophisticated sometimes. And we usually focus on the physical ability rather than the essence of yoga. So our discussion uh, today with Sapna is to make people aware of the essence of yoga. Your international teaching uh, makes, uh, your make, makes you familiar with both sides, the West and the East, and you have a clear understanding of how and why people practice. So with your extensive experience of yoga, Sapna, and your own style of practicing yoga, what is yoga for you? How would you describe it? Uh, thank you, Vivian. And uh, yoga actually needs to be appreciated and viewed from a multidimensional perspective. And as you said, that there's a slight difference between the way uh, the Easterners and the Westerners view yoga. In the East, uh, what happens is even if people are not practicing the physical postures or any aspect of yoga per se, it's in the environment. It's in our culture. So people understand that yoga is a very deep uh, philosophy. It's not just uh -huh. a physical exercise. Whereas in the West, mostly people consider it to be just uh, another form of physical exercise. But, you know, having said that, I would also like to add that uh, there are now a vast number of people in the West also who want to delve into yoga philosophy, who want to learn about it, who want to take tips from it. And this is evident in the large number of people who come to attend the lectures and discourses by a stream of very well-educated Indian yogas, yogis and uh, swamis and gurus who travel all over the world disseminating their knowledge. Uh -huh. So uh, you, we see this change now. And uh, uh, people are very interested in the philosophy of yoga as well. And more and more people are understanding the more holistic exactly. uh, element of yoga, I feel. Right. Okay. Wow. That's interesting that you're mentioning that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you mind telling us a little bit about how you came to do what you do? Okay. So I um, love your story. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so this is, I remember really well, this is when I was in my mid-30s and I had just got off uh, the ship sailing all over the world with my mercantile marine husband and my two small little children. And we had been on ship for about a year traveling all over. Wow. And uh, now the children had to be more serious about attending school regularly. And I wanted to put my teeth into something solid and dedicate myself to just one uh, aspect. So before this, I had delved in a few different uh, areas like I had taught in school in middle school for a, a year or so but I wanted to now do something about uh, something that I was very very passionate about and something that I could then sustain and uh, enjoy doing for the rest of my life mm -hmm. so I remember I told myself I'm going to give myself two weeks where I'm going to sit and think and meditate contemplate research <laughs> and uh, take the advice of family members and others and then uh, zero in on that one thing that I want to do so I made a list, a short list, uh -huh. and yoga was, of course, there. 
<laughs> and it was very interesting everything on my list vivian was uh, things which were uh, very um, artistic and uh, creative uh-huh. because i think i'm inclined to such things so there was also dance indian classical dance wow. learning that or any form of dance there was also painting and graphic designing there was also fashion designing on that list <laughs> and then there was uh, care of animals uh, taking care of animals in need abandoned animals and uh, street street animals wow street dogs. the list so, must have been long wow yeah so this list was long beautiful five items yeah but then finally i uh, yoga won out and i decided to do yoga and uh, then immediately i uh, was attached to a yoga guru i started learning i did my teacher's training started my mm. own yoga studio and then i taught continuously there uh, for for the next 20 odd years and uh, then when covid happened i switched to online classes ah. and uh, and right now currently also i'm continuing with my online classes oh wonderful and, yeah so i i managed wow. to keep my commitment to now i'm 61 and i've managed to stay on the yoga path till now oh wonderful and, uh, wonderful i'd like to add also my work with animals also in a very very small measure whatever i could manage i was ca- contributing to institutions and organizations were working wow. for the welfare of animals so that's very close to my heart as well oh wonderful yeah. wonderful yeah. oh thank you for sharing with us good uh-huh. so yeah we all agree we all know uh, society is changing there's no doubt more and more people turn to some mind body practices for different reasons of course right but what would you say about yoga what i mean is that yoga in the west started a long time ago but do you observe any differences between then and now in terms of the type for example the type of people who want to train yoga why they train their motivation etc yes that's a very uh, interesting question vivian and i've observed lots of little changes over the years over the past 25 years um the people who come to yoga now for therapeutic reasons are much much more so ah. what's happened is uh, mainstream medicine some people are disgruntled with that or they are a little chary of taking too many medicines and the side effects of medicines ah, okay. so you, you know for problems like uh, joint aches diabetes thyroid problems hormonal problems a lot i wow. always had a stream of young girls coming to me with uh, pcod problems and digestive ailments uh breathing issues so for all of these yoga is in fact very very uh, beneficial and uh, over the years i've seen more and more people coming to yoga for therapeutic reasons hmm. then um also uh, using yoga as a complementary and a balancing system of exercise for sportsmen and dancers this also one has seen more and more uh, people uh, adopting yoga for this because see what happens vivian is in a lot of sports you have repetitive strain injuries mm-hmm. for instance mm-hmm. if you're playing the sport tennis you're constant uh, continuously whacking that ball with one arm yeah. Yeah. and so that one shoulder joint that one elbow joint that one wrist joint is going to have it now in yoga what happens it's done very scientifically and systematically you work your skeletal system in a very balanced way you work your mm-hmm. muscles in a very balanced way you work the left and right side of your body equally so if you do yoga as a complementary system of exercise as a sportsman you're able to counteract all those injuries that you might suffer from and the same for dancers over the years uh-huh. i've had a stream of dancers coming to me uh, and they've had very acute back problems so yoga is fantastic for strengthening your spine your uh, back muscles 
and uh, this is another area where i've seen more people coming hmm. to yoga for over the years and then vivian uh, more people now come to yoga to invigorate themselves and do a very strong system of exercise so whereas earlier people thought yoga is more of a sissy exercise uh, mm-hmm. now but obviously they have to choose a stronger style of yoga so if they are doing ashtanga vinyasa uh-huh. yoga then they would be able to really uh, you know incorporate a lot of strong, okay. uh, strength in their body just by doing yoga and conversely people are also doing yoga as a relaxing exercise now more and more so they would choose a gentler style of yoga they would focus more yeah they would focus more on breathing more on slow paced postures more on yoga nidra meditation all of those practices so um, you see uh, more people coming for this as well and uh, and then uh, as we all know in today's times um uh, uh mental uh, conditions mm-hmm. tensions are increasing stress is increasing because uh, poor little human beings are time is limited effort is limited and we want to do so much <laughs> and there's a disparity in these two and the result is stress so yoga teaches us how to manage stress how to keep mm-hmm. the mind steady and calm and okay. how to, how to put things into perspective so uh, uh more people are coming to yoga to address their uh mental issues their stress and all of that and then also we are on the age demographic so ah. which is very so about 25 years ago uh-huh. uh the people who came to yoga would be only people 35 and above <laughs> and then slowly over the years younger and younger people started getting attracted to yoga wow. as they understood that it's a, a pretty strong form of exercise so uh, uh now in my class typically i'll have people even teenagers people in their 20s 30s 40s 50s 60s hmm. 70s and it's such a fantastic form of exercise you can uh, do it at uh, any age at Wonderful. all so these are the few changes i've seen over wow. the years oh that's that's very very interesting to see those differences yeah. wow and it's good that people start younger actually because it really makes a difference in the mind body uh, connection That's, right that's great wow okay hmm the uh, in the phase that we are going through now right you know the social climate business whatever all those level of society what yeah. are your thoughts on how yoga can be a good help i remember you mentioned uh, the eight steps ladder if you can just go quickly about okay so So um uh, Vivian supposing there's a newcomer who wants to do yoga and is interested in getting on the yoga path and they're a little lost and they don't know how do we begin so this is a good little guidance to give them and uh-huh, these okay. uh, this eight steps of yoga was mentioned in uh, Patanjali's yoga sutra so Patanjali is uh, often uh, called the father of modern yoga and he wrote these sutras this uh, book in which he compiled all the uh, systematically compiled all the teachings of yoga all the practices of yoga and in this he has mentioned eight steps on your yoga path and he has said systematically follow this if you want to move up on the yoga ladder so okay. uh, these eight steps are in sanskrit we say yam niyam asan pranayam pratyahar dharana dhyan samadhi and in english quickly yams are abstentions so mm-hmm. first you learn the basic rules of good behavior what to abstain from not to tell lies not to look at other people's th- properties and mm. niyam is observances observe uh, disciplined ways of uh, living which means tell the truth be punctual all of that mm. and then move up to asan practice physical postures so that you uh, make your physical body strong 
and make it disease free so that then you can become a more productive uh, person in your lifetime and you're yeah. not ailed by all kinds of physical ailments then you move on to pranayama which is breath manipulation understand the breath more and more understand what prana is prana is dynamic life energy how do we ingest this into our system how do we use it how do we send it to different parts of the body how do we use it for self healing all of that the whole science of breath and then move on to pratyahar which is sense withdrawal and uh, uh, our senses are continuously externally oriented aren't they we are constantly yes. seeing outside exactly. engage, engaging with yeah. the external world and this ends up uh, to be very very tiring for the entire system mm-hmm. so techniques where you can quickly withdraw in words all the senses kind of shut ah, in words it's kind it's a kind of a prelude to uh, concentration and meditation exactly then is dharana which is concentration various techniques in yoga how you can build your powers of concentration and if you do that you're going to you know it'll help you in every area of your work exactly. your exactly yeah and then you move on to meditation different techni- techniques of meditation and the final step is samadhi which is uh, said to be union of the self with the divine and Perfect. that is the final step uh, okay. which few kind of move towards so these okay. these were the eight steps yeah i see wow yes i hope that the listeners get this really those eight steps i mean we can find them on your website or on the internet but it is very important to understand that it is really the union of yeah, the self good, the deep self it's very yeah. good guidance also yeah great great and you know if i may uh, mention a posture in your website uh, uh looking at your great videos there is one particularly that caught my att- my uh, attention because it reminded me of the zen martial art thing which is when the technique and you become one and the posture i chose to to uh, use as an example here it's the forgive my pronunciation but danurasana posture i right. love it so if i can quote you i would uh, i will i will say the term danurasana comes from the sanskrit words meaning bow and postures the this yogic yogic posture sorry is named after the shape it takes that of a bow we melt soften stretch accept and mold our body into a strong bow this position gives stability and confidence and then you go on describing how to do it but so the at the point is that uh, the you, the practitioner becomes the shape of the bow so what i find interesting is that the person becomes the archer and the bow it's like true leadership in mind body you become the mean and the consciousness to move yourself forward so i really love that posture i've never done yeah. it i've never practiced yoga but that yeah. one caught my atten- my attention really oh. yeah. excellent yeah that that is really beautiful and that could be true of any posture and uh, so when we practicing yoga even the physical postures should be done in a meditative way where you become mm. more and more one with the posture and that is the ultimate aim of meditation as well exactly. isn't it exactly and uh, when we are meditating and we go deeper and deeper into the practice then our, our thought our thinking our objects or the breathing that we are doing with meditation all kind of merges into one exactly and uh, and we kind of uh, everything consciousness of separateness is forgotten and there's that feeling of uh, no divide and that feeling of oneness so we should try and simulate that even when we are doing our postures 
and exactly. and then the whole physical posture also takes on a completely different meaning so one could do it just as a physical exercise which will also give benefits or one could do it as a deeper meditative uh, practice as well well which is what you Uh, just now yeah. quoted about exactly yeah. exactly yeah. i love it now let's focus on your own style so you have a, a a lot of experience in yoga for over 30 years what is your style of yoga and its impact on self transformation that's what comes to me very strong self transformation in what aspect is your teaching style different from the standard uh okay so uh you know um Uh, Vivian, under this large umbrella of yoga, there are so many sub-fields and mm -hmm. uh, topics. Mm -hmm. So yoga encompasses the whole science of breath. Then there is the science of uh, the physical postures. Then there is the whole practice of dharana, dhyan, which is concentration and meditation. Under the purview of yoga is also uh, uh, the practice of kriyas, which is cleansing techniques. Under yoga mm -hmm. also comes the practice of Uh, fasting and sattvic eating, how hmm. to cleanse our internal body It's through a lifestyle. Your right. eating, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Under under yoga would also come the whole science of uh, mantras and sound and chanting, and yoga believes sound is such a potent force, and how we can use sound energy to uh, elevate ourselves, to cleanse and cure, and all of that. Then yoga also encompasses the whole science of Ayurveda. Ayurveda exactly. is the hmm. oldest. Healthcare system known to mankind, and Ayurveda mm. and yoga are both sister sciences. They both stem from the Vedas. So the Vedas okay. are the oldest uh, Sanskrit scriptures of Hinduism, and uh, so yoga encompasses this as well. And um, there is there's so much under mm -hmm. the umbrella of yoga. And so when I started teaching yoga, I said it would be a pity to teach it teach it just as a physical exercise. So what I try and do in my classes. Every class will have uh, static postures where we are more contemplative and meditative. They'll have flowing vinyasas. Every class will have breathing exercises, mm -hmm. and we keep I keep changing around the breathing exercises, talking about the breath, talking about the de deeper aspect of pran. Every class will have either yoga nidra, which is guided relaxation, or it'll have meditation. And um, then throughout the class, we will be talking. I'll be talking about biology. And parts of the mm. physical body. Then I'll also move into deeper aspects. I'll talk about chakras and the uh, uh, energy systems, and the the body of energy, mm -hmm. and talk about little little bits of uh, yogic philosophy. So uh, my endeavor is to try and teach it as a wholesome practice, and um, I'm sure many other people do that as well. And um, uh, but in a lot of places, it's only taught as a physical exercise, exactly. and then people have to go separately. Then people separately go to meditation class, or separately go to other lectures, mm, or yoga yeah. philosophy, all of that. Mm -hmm. So I've tried to incorporate it all in my ninety-minute class. There's a little smattering of everything, and then the takeaway the students have uh, given me is that we feel like we have, you know, been overhauled and we've uh, touched every level of our. Exactly. Uh, we go through the class. Yeah, it's very comprehensive. It's like the full package in one. Yeah. yeah. So your classes last actually an hour and a half, if I'm hour not uh, mistaken. That's yeah. right. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's that's very unique. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Do you see any uh, because you work also on uh, an international platform? Do you see, just as a general question, but do you see any differences? In the practice of yoga 
between India and the West? Um, I mean, like you, I, you, you teach the same way. It's your classes. You teach the yeah. same way. But overall, right. how do students or clients uh, 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 receive it from yeah. the international platform? Yeah, probably what happens in India is people are more reverential towards yoga. They understand that it's a deep philo uh, philosophy and they will, uh, uh, you know, uh, maybe do uh, uh, namaskar, pranam when they come into class and they'll be automatically very quiet and they'll give it its due respect. Mm -hmm. And uh, okay. not, that, not that they don't in the West. I've attended uh, so many classes and people do, but... Uh, uh, it's treated more like we talked about it more like a physical exercise. Yeah, exactly. That's what I thought too. Because I see it also in Zen and other things. I mean, it's not a right. you know, yeah. it's, it's a common thing. When things come from the east to the west, it's always a bit modified according to the need of the need. Western yeah. society. So, yeah. Right. But that's very important so that people understand that. Uh, those who have been practicing yoga, it's important that they understand there is a deeper aspect in it. And in the time that we live in, there's a necessity to go back to to revisit, if I can say, things that we've been doing, like yoga or Zen meditation, and right. do it from a different perspective now. Because simplicity is very powerful if we do it the right, right way. So, and there's so much to gain and learn. Mm -hmm. So it would be a pity if pe people didn't delve a little bit. Yeah. Into no, exactly. The no, yeah. exactly. Good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, kind of close to the last question, but um, are there concepts that you would like to shed light on for the listeners? You know, like uh, things to demystify about yoga. Like, for example, I yeah. know that in the West, I see questions coming over and over about how do I raise my Kundalini and da da da. So there is this obsession that we have in the West, which is normal. I'm not criticizing. You know, we want peacefulness. We want to be free, yeah. and we we uh, attach to those things. You know. Yeah. So okay. Do, uh, mm -hmm. So let's demystify this very thing uh, about the Kundalini. So what what happens is sometimes people don't have enough information. So they're trying to jump to the top of the ladder exactly. and play around with forces which uh, are very potent. And they need to understand that uh, step by step by step, one has to ascend on one's path. So mm. just as you can't suddenly become a very good writer, you have to start from scratch, right? You have to go to school, you have to learn the alph alphabet, you have to learn uh, to make words, then sentences and read extensively and then you develop your own style and you become a teacher in the very very same way you need to build on your yoga practices you need to build a very strong body you need to cleanse your eating habits you need to do the physical exercises regularly you need to have a strong skeletal and muscular system strong organs a strong immune system a very strong hormonal system you need to do your breath work regularly you need to understand what you're dealing with when you're breathing so when you're breathing two things are happening at the physical level you are taking in oxygen into your physical body. But with every breath, you're also taking this dynamic life energy pran into mm. your uh, uh, pranic body, into your body of energy. And then slowly, bit by bit, you have to learn how pran can be used, used for the purpose of self-healing, how we can direct it slowly to different parts of the body. And then you start thinking much, much, much later, years and years and decades later about working with kundalini energy so in yoga, uh, kundalini energy is that 
potent energy which is lying asleep is lying dormant at the base uh, of the spine yeah. mm-hmm. and it happens gradually step by step that we begin to awaken this potent energy and uh, in one way in one way we can say the ultimate aim of yoga is the union of shiva and shakti shiva is that dynamic energy uh, a static energy at the crown of the head and shakti is the feminine aspect of it and that is the kundalini shakti which awakens and rises up mm-hmm. the spine and unites with that so what happens when this energy begins to awaken is it moves up the uh, the sushumna nadi which is in the subtle body mm-hmm. and that can give us very dynamic experiences but it can also uh, destroy the physical uh, body if you're not ready for it so it's like you know blowing in too much current in a wire which is not ready mm-hmm. to receive that current if exactly. there's a weak wire which is broken in places and you blast so much current into it it's going to fizzle out it's going to burn out so you have to first make your pranic nerve strong you have to make your physical nervous system strong and then uh, corresponding to the nerves in the physical body are these pranic nerves you have to continuously year in year out strengthen the physical nerves and then pl- play around with these more dynamic practices so mm-hmm. uh, people have to know this and teachers have to be able to begin to uh, to be uh, explain this exactly. should explain this because a poor person doesn't know and they've just heard about it maybe from a friend or here or there or read about it mm-hmm. so they need to be guided correctly teachers need to guide that don't play around with these things because one has heard of enough stories where people have gone uh, quite crazy because they have uh, uh, done these higher pran- uh, practices of exactly. pranayam without mm-hmm. strengthening the body systems exactly you you explained it very very well no exactly it's a, people want a shortcut but there's no shortcut the shortcut no is shortcut. exactly yeah. what you do at your level right now sure. right. exactly wow yeah. yeah oh that's a very good uh, thank you thank you for demystifying that one yeah okay yeah yeah uh, we don't have much time but um, uh, okay. very quickly just to say uh, you have a blog uh, entitled five essential life lessons from my yoga classes and i loved it very much you okay. d- let's just go very quickly uh, over the five uh, lessons okay. the first one is life is as hard as we make it it's about the belief right and you say if we feel we are slipping into a negative loop of self doubt we should mentally call for a time out to do a simple breathing meditation which can help in regaining focus energy and balance the second one try and try until you succeed persistence and that is very important is a lesson of persistence learn on the yoga mat should now be translated into our life scenario then there is the focus on the journey not the destination it's about yeah. exploring and that is very right. common in uh, eastern philosophies yeah right in that sense we always want to the, just like with kundalini we want a shortcut we want to be enlightened we want to be on the top yeah. but the practice the journey itself yeah. you know and exact treat everyone equally it's about patience and that is we need to progress at our own pace and uh, compete only with our own selves slow and steady so i like that one uh, it's about patience with ourselves will lead 
to learning to be patient with others too in yeah. all life situation and the last one everyone has flaws acceptance so it's about yourself you can't jump to fancy postures position yeah. it's about yourself and how you transform with learning the 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 posture the teaching slowly by itself so accept where you are at in that right. sense yeah cool uh sapna i could keep you for longer but i have to let you go and uh, so thank you so much uh, for your time with us i am sure that our discussion will help people look differently i hope at their yoga practice and hopefully it will raise an interest in yoga for others and to wrap up do you have a few words for the listeners uh yeah first i'd like to say thank you so much vivian you asked uh, very absorbing questions and it was nice to think back of my yoga journey cool. and share my thoughts uh with the people who are going to listen to the podcast and uh finally yes i'd like to repeat the same thing that you know uh spend a little bit of uh time and effort in delving into the deeper practices of yoga also because there's so much wisdom out there it's such an age old science it's a deep science it's a deep art it's a deep philosophy and we can uh, learn so much from it these uh, five uh, po points which you just mentioned one of them i'll just take one of them where uh, you said you know just do your bit and uh, the yoga philosophy also talks about the message of the bhagavad gita which says that uh, do your discharge your obligations and your responsibilities to the best of your ability and don't ever worry about the consequences of your actions because they are never in your hand so supposing you do xyz you do so much effort but you don't get a result it was not in uh, it was not meant to happen and that was not in mm. your hands all you can do is your bit so always continue to do your response discharge your responsibilities exactly. do your bit and don't worry about uh, the consequences because those are not in your hand and so uh, many of us suffer so much because of expectations exactly. you know we are constantly expecting expecting this expecting that expecting uh, uh, good things to happen so if we can be wise enough to take these deep principles and actually apply them in our life we are going to be uh, sailing pretty in our lives That's so my perfect. final message would also be remember that we are yoga tells us we are not just human beings we are spiritual beings on ex having this human uh, experience experience, yeah. experience. and uh, uh, and to try and keep that in our mind at all times wonderful uh, good which will give, help us operate from a place of strength yeah wonderful and people can check your website in your bio thank so, you so much Thank yeah. you all for being with us and I hope that today's episode inspired you to start your journey or deepen it to fully be aligned with the new consciousness shift. The goal, remember, the goal of the Tea Break with podcast is to offer you a chance to hear from different professionals who share this view on the new consciousness and want to help and inspire you. It's all about self-transformation needed to move humanity forward. I encourage you to listen again to this episode and explore the possibilities for your everyday life. I am Viviane Casimir and this is a monthly podcast. Follow us on the Voice America platform for great insights and friendly talks with a cup of tea and see you soon. Thanks for tuning in to this month's episode of Tea Break with Viviane Casimir. 
Tune in next month for another new empowering episode. Until then, have a nice cup of tea and a clear mind.